1: Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to find food truth and connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and Today, it is my honor to welcome Ferd Hefner, who is the policy Director for the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition. Thank you for being with me, Ferd.
0: It's a pleasure to be here, Melinda.
1: Well, the reason why I asked you to be on today is because there's been so much discussion about food safety, in particular, the Senate bill that talks about the Food Safety Modernization Act. And we've got some people saying, and I will name names, the Safe Tables, a priority group, a group of concerned parents, many of whom who have lost children through food safety issues, uh, the E. coli incident being one they're very much in favor of strengthening food safety laws and regulations and certainly we can understand how they feel. And on the other hand, we have family farmers who say these tighter regulations are going to destroy our ability to have an income. So, tell me a little bit about food safety laws and what do you know and what do you think we should do?
0: Yeah. Well, first the big context occurs food safety As a whole, if you just hear that word, you would think of not only pathogens and microbiological contamination of food, but you would think of things like pesticide residues or genetically modified organisms or various food safety considerations related to the use of antibiotics and livestock feed. And... And the important thing to note at the very outset is that as Congress is considering food safety legislation, it only has to do with what the Federal Food and Drug Administration regulates in terms of food, and so it does not include livestock or poultry, which is regulated by the Department of Agriculture does not include anything related to pesticides which is prim- primarily regulated by the Environmental Protection Agency. To, so it doesn't get into anything other than microbiological contamination and pathogens and it only deals with produce, grain, dairy and other parts of agriculture that are that are regulated by FDA. so it's it, it, it's taking one slice of the pie. The other I think the other sort of mega macro thing to understand is that f d a regulates food industry, and that is you know what they and of course the drug industry too, but that's on a different side of f d a but the food side of f d a is used to figuring out how their regulations work with respect to a d m or Conagra or Kraft or the Peanut Corporation of America or whatever big ag business you can think of. They do, however, have sort of broad, generic, somewhat vague authority over farms. But the the big issue, a big issue in this legislation is whether a law that's being written primarily to deal with the big food manufacturing companies, whether those same exact provisions can be applied to farms. And what we've been arguing throughout the debate is that to the extent that farms need to be regulated, which we think is open to question on this score, but to the extent they do, they need very different provisions than the provisions that are going to apply to the ConAgras and Cargills of the world. And we've been slowly making some progress on that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great observation. The, the one-size-fits-all regulation is frightening to small farmers, and it just it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, and one size fits all goes down to the next layer. So then even within production agriculture, you have, you know, a regulation that might work for a, a farm that has 3000 acres of romaine lettuce, and that's all does not work necessarily the same regulation or guidance doesn't necessarily work for the farm that maybe has 50 acres and 50 different crops. And so this is all new territory for FDA, and we're just urging Congress to proceed with the appropriate degree of caution and the appropriate degree of targeting and specificity to get away from that notion of one-size-fits-all. So when this debate started, the bills, as they were introduced in Congress, were basically one-size-fits-all bills. We're, we're happy to report now that the Senate bill in particular has moved considerably away from being one-size-fits-all.
1: Do the big players, the crafts, the Conagras, the Grocery Manufacturers Association, are they pushing for a one size fits all bill?
0: Pretty much. Um and, and Grocery Manufacturers of America has been perhaps the biggest player um, from the industry side and they've they've learned, I would say, over the course of the last year and a half to to not use that phrase and to to try to message away from it. But they still pretty much won it. In fact, one of their lobbyists uh, approached us at one point in the legislative debate and said, you guys are doing us such a great favor because to the extent that you win anything, you're just going to give us this enormous advantage, you know, our guys this enormous advantage in the marketplace because we'll, the, the the mega farms will have, be well represented with lobbyists and lawyers working with FDA to make sure that the regulations fit their particular industrial size agricultural mold, and then they'll be able to advertise, you know, fully compliant with FDA, blah, 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 and that will give them a competitive advantage. And and I take that very, very seriously. I think there are segments of agriculture and segments of the food industry who view not just food safety, but other regulatory issues as well, as opportunities to consolidate the industry, including the production agriculture side of it. Um, and so regulation, in in part because it can get written in such a way that it only really works for the big guys, and secondly, because the big guys are going to have much more lobbying and legal strength to work the system, it, it tends to consolidate and and force greater concentration. So we have to be really, really careful as food safety laws get written that there are enough protections to try to fight against that trend.
1: I totally agree with you. I think so many of our problems today with regard to food safety are actually the result of consolidation. Earlier this year, there was a recall of over 400,000 pounds of ground beef. And then I remember the other recall that had to do with the peanut butter. So all of this peanut butter was produced in Georgia. It went all the way to the West Coast. Then it had to go back to the manufacturer for for destruction. And I'm thinking, who's even calculating the full cost of these recalls? So this whole idea of consolidation where you know one manufacturer is producing food for the country – Um, It might sound good from an efficiency standpoint, although I even question that, but from a food safety standpoint, if something goes wrong, a lot of folks are going to get sick.
0: Yeah, and this has been an interesting uh, part of the overall debate. So the, the various national consumer and food safety organizations that have been championing the legislation, every time we say shouldn't be one size fits all. There needs to be certain exemptions for farms. Different farms need to be treated different ways because they're doing very different things, some of which are risky, some of which are not risky at all. So we keep trying to, to you know, sort of get into the micro level and say, let's really talk about what's really going to produce better food safety results and move away from the idea that one National set of regulations is going to work for everybody, regardless of what they're growing or how they're growing it or how they're packaging and it how it's being marketed. So we're trying to get to down to a, a greater level of specificity on that, and they are slowly coming around a little bit to that point of view. But it's been a it's been quite an education process.
1: Well, it's interesting when I talk to my farmers market manager, she says whenever there's a food safety scare nationally, that you know gets national press. The numbers at the local farmer's market just skyrocket. Yes. And what I heard is that, and maybe you can help me understand this, but the way the legislation is written right now, and this is Senate Bill 510, that the direct marketers, so the farmers that are selling at the market directly to consumers, will not be affected by this bill. Is that true?
0: Kind of. It's under current FDA regulation. So this isn't what's in the bill, but what's currently FDA law through regulation is that if a farm is doing some form of processing, however minimal, that could be anything from just you know taking off the tops off of a vegetable or flash freezing fruit or boiling maple syrup sap or, I mean, processing defined very broadly, they say if a farm is doing that and more than 50% of their overall sales are direct to consumers, then everything they grow, the part that's directly marketed to consumers, the part that's wholesaled, everything is exempt um, under current regulation. So these, both the House and Senate bill assume that moving forward, the House bill actually puts that into law now, puts that existing FDA regulation, makes it part of the statute. The Senate bill, 510, doesn't do that but assumes that that regulation stays in place. And so the important thing there is there's already an exemption. It has to do with direct marketing. It's based on whether somebody is direct marketing 50%. The point we raise, or we raise a lot of points about that, but one of the points we raise about that is any particular farmer, depending on their marketing system, but you know, most farmers have, multiple markets and one year they might be direct marketing you know 51 percent the next year they might be direct marketing you know 47 percent so they would be in the regulation out of the regulation back in the regulation it kind of doesn't make very much sense from any practical point of view there's another aspect of that which is the government has no statistics or no data source for (laughs) determining which farmers are more than 50% direct marketing in any given year, so there would also be a compliance problem on the government side of the question, but you know, we're more interested in the farmer side. So we've been trying to say we need to do this smarter, and the first very important smart thing that can be done is to say not every minimal processing step a farmer does should be treated the same. It should be based on whether there is a significant food safety risk involved to begin with. Believe it or not, that position was opposed by FDA and the Obama administration, and it was opposed by the national consumer organizations. However, luckily, we had some Senate champions. Um, of a number of different senators helped us with that, but the amendment um, was actually introduced by Bernie Sanders from Vermont and um, is now, if the, if the Senate ever takes up the bill, that that. Standards amendment is going to be part of the final product, and it says FDA must do a rulemaking and determine which particular kinds of on-farm processing are a food safety concern and which ones they don't need to be concerned about and therefore don't need to regulate. And um, we think that's a really important breakthrough. FDA did not want to have to do that rulemaking. And so it's very important that that Sanders language stays in the bill. And then when they go, there's nothing like that in the House bill. The House bill passed last year. So when they go to conference between the House and Senate to work out the differences, it's going to be really important to us that that um, Sanders amendment stays in the package.
1: If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Ferd Hefner, who is the policy director at the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition, and we're talking about the very important topic of food safety and food safety legislation. One of the big pieces, Ferd, that often comes up, always, is cost. And I love this issue because just as you mentioned earlier about food safety only looking at pathogens, which is such a narrow view. When we look at cost, we're not looking at the broader cost, as I mentioned earlier with regard to the peanut butter, and I think, oh, my gosh, or even the beef. You know, who is paying at the end of the day? Who is calculating all of this up in terms of the loss of natural resources, the loss when it it comes to fossil fuel to cart this stuff back and forth and then dispose of it? So now we've got the whole cost discussion with regard to Who's going to pay for these additional food safety pieces of legislation? Where does the money come from?
0: Great question. So, you know, you're right. The big frame there is the externality costs that are part of the industrial food system as we have it and the fact that there's these huge environmental and social costs that aren't being accounted for. But specific to the legislation, the issue is, if this law passes, how is f d a ever going to have the resources to actually enforce and implement it and It's a very important question and there you know there are there the key things in this bill that are aimed at the the big food processing companies Or most of it is really important stuff that should have been done years ago, but it does cost money, so part of the issue there is figuring out how to pay for it. Our issue on the cost side is if FDA is really going to do what the bills say, which means they're going to be regulating and inspecting hundreds of thousands of family farms all over the country, how are they ever going to have enough FDA inspectors to go do all those inspections on hundreds of thousands of farms? The the quick answer to that is they're never going to have that amount of resources. And so we've been trying to drive home the point, if you want to get the cost under control of how much this is. This bill is ultimately going to cost. One way to do that is not do these blanket, we want to regulate all of agriculture provisions, and instead make them much more refined and get it down to, yes, there may be farms out there who are doing things that are of significant concern. You know, there really could be a food risk involved, and they do need to have regular inspections. But we can get that down, I would guess, to less than 10,000, maybe even less than 5,000. We certainly don't need hundreds of thousands of farms in that category if there's nothing inherently risky in what they're doing. So we're just really driving that point home. that The Congressional Budget Office, which in the end determines how much legislation costs, it says that the House bill costs almost $2 billion a year. They haven't estimated what the Senate bill costs yet, but... That's a lot of money in a fiscal time when money is very tight and Congress is trying to figure out how to cut all sorts of programs. It's going to be very difficult for FDA to make the case that they need an additional $2 billion. I don't think that will happen anytime soon. And so then you have the weird effect of, you know, if this legislation passes, members of Congress will write their press releases about how they've made the food system safer for consumers. But that only really kicks in once they actually come up with the money to do it, which will be several years into the future.
1: Yeah, we do some stupid things in the name of food safety, too. Uh, one of the rules that a lot of schools have taken on is that we used to be able to bring cupcakes into our kids, right, on their birthdays. Mm-hmm. And then some schools will have food safety rules saying, no, no homemade products. I mean, you can, and you can understand, really, that line of thinking, but they'll say, no, everything has to be in an aseptic package. So you get this extra plastic wrapper Another example is um, Dan Imhoff mentioned this when the E. coli incident happened with the spinach. And I don't know if anybody figured out where the the fecal material was coming from. I always try to tell consumers, if you hear the word E. coli or salmonella, just think feces. There's got to be a connection there. And he was explaining how farmers were being required to take out all of the grassy areas and green kind of buffers around the crops because they thought that that might bring in wild animals that might bring in fecal contamination. So some of this food safety regulation that's really done with good intention has negative unintended consequences.
0: Yeah, and you raise a really good point on the conservation and wildlife issue. That has been the experience in California in the aftermath of the spinach incident, where partly because of the way that the farming sector has decided to respond, but particularly in the way that the food industry has responded with requirements that filter down to the farm level, they've just been encouraging what we basically call the sterilization of farms, get rid of, wildlife, get rid of buffers, get rid of trees, get rid of critters in any way that you can. And it's just completely ridiculous. It's a complete, you know, it's a non-scientific reaction. It's a complete overreaction. But we had the same problem in the federal legislation, that there was language that implied, strongly implied, that wildlife is the enemy. And we could just imagine the regulations that would be produced as a result so there again, the Senate bill, but not the House bill, has a very important provision, or actually two different important provisions. Uh, when the Senate committee marked up its bill at the committee level, we uh, successfully got language introduced and into the bill that says that other federal players have to be at the table when EPA writes its regulations as they impact conservation, environment, and wildlife. So EPA and USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and Fish and Wildlife Service have to be at the table, and those regulations have to be consistent with wildlife and conservation-related regulations so that you don't have the result that you did have in California already where one part of the government is saying get rid of the wildlife and the other part of the government is saying you've got to do things to make sure that wildlife are are safe and happy and being enhanced. So, again, the proof on that will be in the A, we have to win all the way through and get it in the final bill. But then if we do, the proof will be in the pudding of when FDA actually sits down and does it and makes sure that those intergovernment discussions actually happen and they write, sane regulations and don't do this. And the, the other one was uh, an amendment that Barbara Boxer, Senator Boxer from California, helped us with to, make, to, to change the language in the bill so that it wasn't talking about wildlife encroachment of farms as if that was some scary, bad thing and mm-hmm. uh, put in more neutral, more scientifically sound language. So on both of those scores, the, the Senate bill is, is considerably better now than the House bill.
1: So could we make a law to require everyone who's writing food safety legislation to have a degree or take a quick course in ecology?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I will say as we've talked to agency staff at FDA, they do have a lot of people there on staff who, who do get these issues and do have a appropriate scientific background. So I think there's some hope there. It's just something about this particular issue where it's so much based on here's the latest scare, here's the overreaction, here's the next scare, here's the overreaction, rather than sitting it down and making a a rational, scientifically sound, (laughs) and economically appropriate kind of uh, system. And that's our bottom line. If what comes out of this is legislation that's going to cost your smaller, mid-scale family farm, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 a year to comply with regulations that aren't going to do anything for food safety, just checking a lot of government boxes, then that's not going to help anybody. And we've been trying to drive home that message that if you want real food safety improvements on the ground, there are much smarter ways of doing it.
1: Your website is a great resource, and I should mention that before our time is up, and that is simply the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition website. Let me find that here. Is that the best place for people to stay up with the information, do you think?
0: Yeah, I would suggest two things. Our website has most of our material on it, sustainableagriculture.net, and then there's something called Food Safety News, which is actually quite interesting. It's it's financed by one of the lead attorneys for the uh, victims of food safety outbreaks, but it's run as a fairly objective set of reporters who post almost daily on the latest on food safety regulations in general, but they report a lot on the pending legislation, so I'd actually say that that's a pretty good source
1: as well. And is that foodsafetynews.org? Yes. Okay. This is great, Ferd. I think that people need to have resources, you know, where to go to get the very latest information, and I'm one that I'm a big fan of action steps. So when there is a time and a place to respond and to contact legislators, it's very helpful to have those talking points all lined up for us. And your organization has been very helpful with that.
0: Yeah, and we'll certainly be posting action alerts as whenever the Senate finally decides that it's going to take up the bill on the floor, which could be, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in July. That's what I would basically say. They'll either deal with this in July or it will be kicked off till next year. So assuming that they do get floor time in July for the bill, we'll certainly have an action alert on our website that people can look at.
1: Ferd, we just have a couple of minutes, and I want to make sure I give you a chance to address a topic or an issue that I neglected to ask. Do you want to say anything to the farmers and the consumers out there who might be listening?
0: Well, yeah, I guess we do make the point that sort of more local and regionalized food systems, while We can't say they're not going to have food safety problems. They might, but the closer you are to your food, the more you're going to know about it from the consumer end, and because it's not a nationalized or globalized system, if there is a problem, it's going to be, A, much quicker and easier to figure out what's going on and how to deal with it, but also it will affect lots fewer people, and it won't have all those hidden costs that you talked about. So I think that's that's just really important. So we certainly encourage people to know more about their food sources and know more about the farmers that they are um, relying on to provide their food. So that's all very important. The only other thing I'd add quickly about the legislation, uh, I mentioned Senator Stabenow from Michigan earlier. She has a very important provision that's part of the Senate bill now to provide technical assistance and education and training to farmers and small local processors for common-sense steps they can take to improve food safety on their farms or in their small processing businesses, and that's another key part of the legislation that we want to preserve because we actually make the case that if we could get that program up and running and get money out there to farm and and non-governmental organizations to run training programs farmers will respond. They want to do the right thing, and if they get the right education, they get the right training, we'll have good food safety results much more quickly than waiting around for FDA to hire thousands of inspectors to go out with regulations that don't really have the farmer doing things that are all that important to begin with so we think there's a there's a quicker way to do it and we really uh, congratulate Sen- senator stabenow for taking the lead on that and again it will be in the senate bill then we have to make sure that the house accepts it when they go to conference
1: thank you so much ferd this has been such a great education if you're just joining us or if you're wondering who we've been speaking with We've been speaking with Ferd Hefner, who is the Policy Director for the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition, and we'll make sure to have a website listed on the KOPN website. In closing, I want to thank our listeners. I want to thank Ferd, and I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you, Ferd.
0: Thank you.